One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, how the heck are you? Chris Brown, Steve Tasker here with you on a Tuesday up until 3 p.m. Thanks for joining us, making us part of your day as uh, we discuss the offseason that has begun in earnest. In Super earnest. Bowl is over. The new season has begun. We have flipped the page. And uh, it is it is not officially a new league year. That does not happen until free agency opens on March 13th, and all teams must be cap compliant. Uh, so that is the technical start of the new league year. But as far as all 32 teams in the NFL are concerned, the new league year has begun. And some teams are already taking care of business. We'll get to that in a second when we go around the NFL. But there is first some Bills news to pass along, which crossed yesterday after we got off the air. Another coaching staff position has been filled. Offensive quality control coach DJ Mangus has been hired full-time. For those that might remember, Mangus came over from the University at Buffalo staff midseason after uh, Joe Brady was promoted to interim offensive coordinator. They had a vacancy on their staff because Ken Dorsey was, was relieved of his duties Joe Brady replaced him, but nobody replaced Joe Brady. So the offensive staff was down a man, so to speak. So they brought on DJ Mangus, who had worked with Joe Brady, both at LSU and with the Carolina Panthers. He had been working for the UB staff here in town. They brought him over to Orchard Park, and he kind of served as an offensive assistant. Now he has an official role and title as offensive quality control coach, where he will begin on the Bills staff on a full-time basis. So that's kind of where that sits. If, if, as my understanding, and if people are wondering, which I always used to wonder, what quality control means, it's what they used to call, a lot of it is what they used to call self-scout. Like how do, what do other people see when they look at us? Yeah. Are we doing things the right way? Are we getting, like an, in a certain down and distance, are we doing the exact same thing the exact same way all the time. Yeah. What is self-scout? Do we have to institute a right. tendency breaker here right. and put that in the game plan? Right. You got you to gotta look at yourself and say, hey, we can't keep doing this thing. This, in, you know, They're yeah. starting to get wise to it. Or let's throw a wrinkle right here because I think they, they're going to expect us to do this one thing. Let's make it look like that and then s- snap off a big one over here. Kind of, You know what I mean? Uh, that kind of stuff is what quality control guys do, plus a gazillion other things mm-hmm. um, on the field, off the field, analytics, all of that stuff. It's... Uh, it's a wide-ranging thing that quality control covers right. a lot of. Right, and a lot of NFL coaches, you know, the higher-ups, they first often oh, they they first cut their teeth as quality control in, coaches in this league. In my day, that's it. All the head coaches started as quality control guys, all of them. Yeah. And maybe that's still true. I don't even know, but it's, you know. it's Well, if not in the NFL, pro- presumably somewhere else, whether right. it was as a grad assistant or, you know what I mean, at the college yeah, level. exactly. So – Uh, So another position filled on Buffalo's coaching staff. Uh, Time to go around the NFL now, though, which is presented by Kaleida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with the broadcast numbers, Steve, for the Super Bowl. Now, we often know that this is one of the most watched live programs of the calendar year, and it was no different this year. But the numbers increased by a factor I don't know that anybody anticipated. First and foremost, 123.4 million viewers across multiple CBS 
platforms, CBS had the game as we know, 120 million alone watched on the network feed on CBS, the largest largest audience ever for a single network. It was also the most streamed Super Bowl ever, which was led by a record-setting audience on CBS's streaming platform, Paramount+. Plus. So uh, the number of 123.4 million average viewers is up almost 7% from last year's Super Bowl, which had the previous record of 115.1 million. More than 200 million people watched all or part of the Super Bowl across all networks, the highest unduplicated total audience in history, and it was up 10% from last year's number of 183.6 million. So... I mean, the numbers are just redonkulous. <laughs> Everybody. It's, I heard somebody say it was the most watched television moment yes. since the moon landing. Yeah. But when I was like six years old, seven years old, eight, the moon landing, the first one. Yeah. Like, what is that? 55 years ago. Yeah. When broadcast television was that quite was literally the only game in town that was it that was the only way you could watch anything and it was on all three channels all, all three at the same time yeah. so it was no fox back then and uh, yeah it was uh, it's an amazing thought um and i was talking about this too that I, I, it's hard to imagine i say this yesterday on the show i was telling somebody uh it's hard to imagine the league being in a better spot than it is right now. Well, the numbers are just going to keep going up. Exactly. As you have it out on streaming platforms now, you know, now you got anybody in the world right. can watch that. Um, and think about it, too. You, from, know, you can be in Bora Bora watching <laughs> that thing as long as you have an internet signal. And from last year, you had like five teams in the AFC side that were brand new playoff teams, right? Is that what it was? That sounds right. Five new teams. And then in the NFC side, I, I can't even begin to go down that list from the year before. Well, I, I guess I can. Well, San quick. Fran was in last year. Right. But last, but this year. Detroit was not. Detroit was new. Last year, T- Tampa Bay was in last year. Minnesota was in last year. The Giants were in last year. And right. Philly was in last year. I mean, it's new teams in the playoffs every year. Now, you can say, oh, Chiefs always win it. Chiefs always win it. Well, it, but there's a lot of teams that are taking the swing. Bills well, are one of them. Bills, Bills are one of the few teams that can get back. Yeah, but the league is in a, the league is such a good spot. Be, I mean, we can't get enough of it. It was it's so well run. I hate you know you you hate to admit it, but that it is the whole thing is built to churn out fan interest. I mean, so the league goes into this off season. We're talking. I mean, it was amazing to me and you. We sat here and we had. Our, you know, our, you, our loyal listeners and watcher viewers calling in saying, listen, okay, let's talk about the draft. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, dudes. Off we go. We turn the page. Let's go. And, uh, but you got the parody is unbelievable. And as good as the Chiefs are, it, and as, as tired of it as Bills fans are, and, and since all of us, you know, kind of get that KC fatigue, it's, it looks hard for them, right? It doesn't look like, they're, like it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, back in the seventies, when you know when you got the Steelers doing it, man, you didn't you just didn't think anybody was going to beat those guys. Mm-hmm. Well, not so much anymore. They may win it, but it's going to be tough on them. 
even when they play the Bills, and they play all these teams, it's a one-possession game. So you said it, you know, three-quarters of the games in the league are one-possession games. It is unbelievable to watch. And this this Super Bowl and the numbers that come out of it are, are proof of it. it well, I think yeah, and it was tight all the way through. Yeah, and going – it was an overtime Super Bowl. Um, you think about where the league is positioned going forward, and man, oh, man, it's just going to roll. I mean, it was three seconds shy of going a full five quarters. Yeah. They scored the game-winning touchdown with three seconds left in the first overtime. And that was after somebody had scored in overtime. So we got that going for us now. Yeah. And, I, you know, all the stuff we talked about yesterday with the people who the new, the rules were new, nobody was really quite ready for it. It was uh, – I think it's just – it was a spectacular finish, too. It was a, a dynamite season for the league as a whole. Um, you know, and everybody except for the Chiefs are disappointed. But, man, oh, man. It, what a finish to an to an amazing season! Yeah, it was uh, something else. As we mentioned, it is the time of the year when teams flip the calendar. It's a new league year for a lot of them, every one of them, and some are starting sooner than others. Namely, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are already working to create cap space for themselves for the impending free agent market next month. Steelers released quarterback Mitch Trubisky. They also released longtime offensive lineman Chikuma Okorafor and punter Presley Harvin. The moves save nearly $13 million in 2024 salary cap space for the Steelers, who are looking to kind of retool that roster. They, they got into the playoffs, but I don't think anybody was really fearing that team. Um But I think the Mitch Trubisky release is a sign of two things. Number one, he was going to cost $7 million on their cap. And number two, Mason Rudolph kind of asserted himself at the end of the season as a capable, more than capable backup quarterback. He surprisingly played. He played surprisingly well. And that means they're going to do everything they can, I I think, to get a veteran kind of Joe Flacco-type guy who has done it at some point. Right well, now they don't have it. Kenny Pickett, they got, well, they got Pickett Mason Rudolph. And they got to get Rudolph back. And Trubisky. None of those guys have proven anything in the league. And, and they're a team that had a winning record despite all three of those guys playing at some point and none of them playing really well enough to say, I'm the guy. Right. I, Rudolph's contract is up. He's set to become a free agent. I would think the Steelers would bring him back, presumably at maybe half, know. half the number that Trubisky played at. You don't, don't think know. so? no. To be a backup? No, trade. You know, I would trade for somebody. I mean, there's got to be somebody out there. You got to like. A, well, there are rumors out there that the Steelers may trade for Justin Fields with Chicago. Right. If Chicago decides we want to use the first pick that we have in the draft on a quarterback. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I, without knowing any of these contract situations, any of the guys I'm going to mention, it's like guys like Ryan Tannehill, even Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. He's been rumored to be on the market. You know, or they're going to move on from him. All these guys who have at least played at a consistent level, well above where the Steelers have been getting since Ben Roethlisberger retired. I mean, you know, go get one of those guys and let everybody else on the team take a breath for a minute instead of carrying that guy. So whoever think, it is. So you think the Steelers? I've already made up their mind that Pickett's their backup going forward. And they're going to do try to get somebody better. 
I don't know what the Steelers have decided, but that's what I'm deciding oh, for, for, them. for them. That's very nice of you. Don't do that. Sure, they appreciate don't, it. Let's move on. <laughs> Done um, with Pickett yes. after two years. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they and, – and I was with them. I mean, he wasn't healthy. I was with – well, if that's – okay. They missed half the season, right? So – I was with them. This then last he was healthy, season. and they said, we're going with Rudolph. Cause right. Last offseason, I was all about Which it. Which may have said everything we need to know. He flashed. In fact, he flashed to me, if I remember correctly, he flashed to me better than Mason Rudolph flashed when he took the job from Pickett. It was the same, it's the same thing. Mm. The team. No difference. The team glowed up in the second half of the season so they could get a winning record. Mm. And the quarterback was carried along by that little wave and don't I'm not going to be fooled by it again I Mason Rudolph was the Kenny Pickett of 2023 okay and Kenny Pickett was the Kenny Pickett of 2022 which is still not good enough no okay that's fair enough I'm I'm telling the Pittsburgh Steelers move on uh elsewhere in the AFC North uh, Paul Denner, beat reporter on the Bengals for The Athletic, is reporting that the Bengals are expected to use the franchise tag on free agent-to-be T. Higgins this offseason. He kind of lays out the whole scenario for that happening, basically saying that they have the cap space to carry Higgins' salary into the 2024 season. Joe Burrow's cap number is still relatively low after signing the extension last summer slash fall. Um, it'll jump to twenty million in twenty twenty five, or it'll it'll jump up twenty million dollars in twenty twenty five from where it is now uh, for twenty twenty four. So they feel like they can run it back with Higgins and Chase one more time. the The casualty here will be Tyler Boyd, their slot receiver, who was also a free agent. So it looks like, according to Denner, that their plan is. We'll franchise Higgins, keep him for one more year, let Boyd walk, and see if we can run it back one more time with a healthy Joe Burrow in 2024. Yeah. Um, yeah, the key to that whole thing, we can talk about those guys all we want. The key to the whole thing is Joe Burrow. Nothing happens unless it's unless right. he's taking the snaps. Higgins, all the, you know, Chase. Tyler Boyd, all of that, none of them makes any difference if Joe's not the guy taking snaps. And and the simple fact of the matter is I thought that the Bengals have done it the right way. They got three, really three number ones, right? Chase, Higgins, Boyd. I don't know if Boyd's a one, but okay. Yeah, okay, but he's a strong two. Higgins he's a solid could be a two. one elsewhere. Right. So they got all these guys, and that's who you, Joe Burrow needs. I mean, that's what you got to have. You got to have that guy. Joe Burrow is a pure pocket passer. Their tight ends flashed this year. Tanner Hudson they was a practice squad kid that kind of came the, on late in the season. The they problem is his upside. Yeah, and what the problem is for the Bengals is now they they got they have no offensive lineman who and now Joe is once again for the second time in his career lost an entire half a season at least mm-hmm. to injury because he, well, he got his head a, caved in. Well, yeah, but that was after they signed Orlando Brown away from the Kansas City Chiefs at left tackle. Do it better. Still didn't matter. You got to do better. And some of it. Might be a little bit of an Andrew Luck syndrome where I'm not saying Andrew Luck was fragile or he wasn't tough, but he played the quarterback position from the pocket and was not afraid, was too unafraid to take a hit to deliver the ball. And you take enough hits and you, your body breaks. Mm-hmm. 
That's what that's what it is. Joe stands back there and he's not getting out of the pocket. The offensive linemen know where he's at, but sooner or later somebody's going to get through, and he'll stand there until somebody comes comes free, and he takes a hit because of it. And you know, a lot of times he takes the hit as he's delivering the ball. Great play. All right, let's get up and move. But a lot of times he can't get up, hmm. or too often. Yeah, right. It's the second time in four seasons. Or is it three seasons? What was he? 2020 draft? Second time in four seasons that he has not been able to finish the season due to a season-ending injury. He had the ACL, and then last year it was the calf, right? It was a calf. He, he had the calf was, at the beginning of the year, and then he re-injured it. it, it oh, did he? Right? It was a, Isn't that was what happened? Achilles. I don't know what it was. No, I think it was now, a calf. Let me, let me look it up. Anyway, um, the other interesting part about this whole equation, because it's like, all right, you're going to give – Higgins, the franchise tag, it's it's believed that Higgins would be amenable to that because of what the wide receiver market looks like now. You've got Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman Jr., and then maybe even Jamar Chase looking at potential long-term deals. That's like the top of the food chain at the receiver position, and so Higgins might get squeezed out and not get the money he thinks he could command on the open market because of it. So better to take the franchise tag money now and then go into the market in 2025 when Cincinnati is not going to be able to bring you back anyway and get number one receiver money from some other team looking for a veteran wideout to be their number one guy. Yeah, Joe Burrow's wrist injury. It was a wrist. That's right. You're right. Wrist injury. So calf at the beginning of the year, then wrist later. Yeah, they were. And they went nine and eight without him. Yeah, they were resourceful for sure. Um, for those that are wondering what the tag number is expected to be at the receiver position, the official franchise tags I don't think are out yet for 2024, but it's projected to be just under $21 million, $20.7 million. So, and, you know, it's a high-priced, costly position, which is why I think it's going to be unlikely that Gabe Davis is back in a Bills uniform next year. I think he's going to command too big a price on the open market, and the Bills are not in a cap position to accommodate that kind of a salary. And I'll say this too, Gabe, Gabe, we all know this too, Gabe offers a lot to teams who may be looking to change their culture, get a little credibility in the room. He's got a ton of playoff experience. Even if he doesn't have a lot of production, he's got a couple of games where he did have some production. Um, And he's got good size, and he's a gritty player as well so he you know he's gonna and bills fans know this he's gonna gain some attention on the open market and it'll be interesting to see how that works out because he i i don't think there's any way he can come back to buffalo because of the number he's going to be able to command yeah Bengals have about 53 million in cap space that's something meanwhile the bills are upside down to the tune of about 51 (laughs) almost the exact number yeah the, the other way, the wrong way, yeah. in the red. Um, but that's around, a look around the NFL. Not a ton going on, uh, league-wide, that is. Uh, the only other note was that uh, the Cowboys made it official, hiring Mike Zimmer as their defensive coordinator. What do you think of that? I don't know. 67, I don't, I'm not, far be it for me to be, be ageist here. Because Zimmer does have a long track record of success. I'm, I'm curious to see how that works. Because his defensive approach, I think, is in stark contrast to what Dan Quinn likes to run. So, um, 
Yeah. I don't know. I'm I curious. I think that there will be a change in philosophy and approach on that side of the ball. Um, what do you think it says that they didn't did not hire Rex? I don't think it says much of anything. Yeah. I know they interviewed him, but I, I don't. There are, in my mind, there are coaches whose careers kind of run their course, and then the game at some point or another just kind of passes them by. And whatever they do, they can't catch back up to the game and be effective. I think that's where Rex is. The game Much the way Dave Wanstead was when he came here under Chan Gailey as, I think, their second or third defensive coordinator. He just he just did not have it anymore, and it was patently obvious. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I would agree with that. It, the old guy uh, – Al Davis used to say head coach has got about a 10-year life cycle. He goes, even if they're ultra successful, that's about as long as it goes. So they, Because the game evolves, right? and you've got your core beliefs as a head coach, the coordinator, whatever. You've got your core beliefs, and all of a sudden those core beliefs have to be evaluated. And maybe amended. And mended or thrown out, whatever. And some guys are like, I don't, you know, some guys have a hard time seeing it. Or coming up with a way to adjust to it that is innovative and new uh, because they have been ultra successful at some point. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the intriguing things about the NFL that makes it different than all these other sports, baseball, basketball, hockey, the NFL evolves on a year to year basis. Right. And in, and a five year span in the NFL, you're looking at a completely different kind of game and you didn't even realize it, you know? So it's, I I think that's and coaches get caught up in that, right? Coaches get caught up in it. Yes, I would say that, and you try to stay ahead of that curve if you're a coach in the league. Obviously, well, that's yeah, that's part of what that quality control is. Oh yeah, you know that we talked about. So, topic of discussion for you today is obviously Bills related, and uh, this ties in with uh, our guest on the show today. Uh, which is Matt Harmon from Yahoo Sports and the Reception Perception um, site as he dives into receivers long and hard on uh, you know getting to the nuts and bolts of what makes each receiver in the league tick, each receiver in the draft tick. So with that in mind, we are asking you today, what is your ideal scenario for how to restock the Bills' wide receiver room? As we mentioned already, knowing the price that Gabe Davis is likely to command on the free agent market, Probably unlikely that he's back in a Bills uniform next season due to Buffalo's cap restraints. Um, They've got 10 draft choices. We know that Brandon Bean in recent years has tried to find receivers that can help this roster on one-year deals. Trent Sherfield didn't work out so great, but Emmanuel Sanders was here on a one-year deal a few years back. That worked out really well, and there have been other examples. So, what is your ideal scenario for how to restock the Bills' wide receiver room this offseason? 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. we got open lines for you. If you can't hit us up on the phones, you can always send us a message on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. So that's kind of where it's at. And I don't know, it's an interesting breakdown, Steve. Obviously, we'll have a better sense on how many receivers they're likely to draft once we see how Brandon Bean and the personnel department fill out the roster on the free agent side of things. Because as we know, they like to fill as many holes as possible. 
right. in free agency so they're not forced to lean toward need in the draft because what that ends up doing is creating reach situations and you never want to reach in the draft. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, like we said, you know, you may need a may need a wide receiver really bad, but the only wide receiver, you could wait three rounds and get the wide receiver, the best wide receiver that's left. So you got to do that, and they end up taking either you take him there or you take another really good player to a position you don't need. It's, a, it's the curse of the draft, and it's also, um, you know, the challenge of it. He, well, especially when you're picking 28th in the round. Right. You're at the mercy of a lot of what happens in front of you. And here's the thing, too. You, you may get the best player of the draft at 28, but it takes him a year and a half to get on the field. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, ah, you know, because he's, he's just not ready or he's – or you got a you know all pro ahead of him or whatever. Um, I mean that's that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but that's what you're looking at. Uh, you evaluate these guys and you and you find out later you got a pretty good guy that you didn't even have on your board when the whole thing started. So it's uh, we go through this every year and it's so frustrating to go to because every guy we every guy you like is always taken three picks ahead of where you're picking drives me crazy well yeah and when you're again when you're picking low in the round you have far less control as to the options you're going to have at your disposal because there's 27 teams in front of you kind of determining how the board is unfolding for you you don't have really any power unless you make a big move up the board something to that effect um but there's an it's an interesting free agent market and i think we all know that the Bills are not going to be able to swing big in free agency at the receiver position or any other for that matter. But there are some interesting values, you know, out there on the free agent market. You got a guy like Kendrick Bourne, who I know has said he'd like to re-sign with New England. Um, I think that guy can be had, you know, at an affordable price, maybe four and a half, five million a year. Uh, See if he's interested in playing for a contender after wallowing at home on his couch and not participating in the playoffs. Uh, I think that guy's an underrated player. I, I'd be happy with Kendrick Bourne. Absolutely. Um, he played very well against this team. And that's always kind of one of the things you look at, right? A guy who's crushed you. And get him on your 28 team. 28 years old. Right. You yeah, know. he's got he's, – the list is unbelievably long of guys that are going to be free. But that can drive the value down. You know, yeah. when there's that much supply, you know, you can get – Somebody at an affordable price. And and then you look at other teams, too. Like, look at guys that were playing for teams like Cincinnati. Tough team to get on the field for, right? I mean, you could be really, really good and never see the field in Cincy. And there's a guy like that. A kid named Trenton Irwin. I have no idea who he is, but that's what you're looking at. Guys like that, or you can find that were mired behind a really great group of people uh, much like we thought last year with with the group here we had um you know a d-line in, in training camp they had some guys that could really play and you know yeah kingsley jonathan couldn't get on the field. kingsley jonathan couldn't get on the field you and i and i'll say it again you and i are really high on that guy i don't know if, who knows it's going to work out but that's what we're looking at so there's a uh, and you know, we're, you and I are looking at this. There's got to be what twenty? There's got to be fifty guys on this list. More than that, seventy-five. There's seventy-five guys on the list that are NFL players that were on rosters this year who are now free agents. Seventy-five guys. And there's some guys in there. Complaining. There's a lot. 
There are a and lot. And it'd be interesting to see if you re, if you threw all of these guys on this list into this year's draft. Yeah. Where would they fall? That's kind of what you're looking at, right? Right. I'm very interested to see because you have enough teams with free agent cap room to spend lavishly, you know, on a top tier receiver if they want. Um, how many teams do that? You know, that are at the top of the list in terms of cap space, and what does that leave for everybody else in week two and maybe week three of free agency? That could go a long way in determining what the Bills could get at a good value. You have a chance to get a quality player at a decent value if basically only three or four guys make giant money and everybody else has got to settle for far less than they anticipated, similar to how the safety market unfolded last year. It was basically Jesse Bates got buku money, and everybody else was like, where's my money? That's because there were 18 starters at the safety position in the free agent market. Will the same happen at receiver? The Bills certainly hope so, because that would mean – supply would outweigh demand and you could get an affordable value which is what the bills are going to be looking for in the free I told you market. man a lot of these guys are going to look at the market and look around saying I just I, I need a place I want yeah. to work I don't want to I don't want to sit out a year I'll just give me a contract yeah um, there's going to be some of that and when you give a guy a one year deal We've said it before. It's a great strategy man they're highly motivated to produce as much as they can yeah. every single snap Break time for us here, but your phone calls when we return. Dan and Erie, Burton Lockport, and others holding at 803-0550. We'll get to you when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And question or topic of discussion today, what is your ideal scenario for how to restock the Bills wide receiver room this offseason? We go to the phones at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, and lead off with Dan in Erie. What do you got for us, Dan? Hey, guys. Uh, I just thought I'd get your uh, feelings about Justin Shorter, a guy that they drafted in the fifth round last year, I guess. He was obviously hurt all last year, but they say he's got a world of potential. Uh, that might, you know, if, if he really pans out, that might be uh, one less wide receiver that they'd have to take in the draft, and they could address that uh, draft pick maybe with the defensive line. Just try to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I get it, Dan. They drafted him in the fifth round last spring. And he certainly brings a much-needed size component to the receiving core because if Gabe Davis is not back, you don't have anybody 6'2 or taller in the receiving core except for Justin Shorter. So he would bring a welcome dose of size there. Now there are other tall players that were on the practice squad too, like Tyrell Shavers. Um, But my point is, you know, you've got a, a size player in Shorter. I don't know if they feel comfortable in knowing what else they have in him because their only exposure to him in a game setting is the preseason. Um, you know, and he had some production there. Our MSG viewers are watching the touchdown he scored late against Pittsburgh in the preseason back in August. Um, but beyond that, they really didn't get a chance to look at him in the daily and weekly grind of the practice setting because he was on injured reserve for the majority of the season. So that doesn't lend itself to knowing enough about him 
where they, they're at a point where they say, oh, you know what? This guy's going to likely be our number four or number five guy next year. Lock it up. They don't know that because they haven't seen enough of him in the NFL setting to make that determination. So I, I, I think they're, they're happy to have him on the roster, but I don't think he answers any of the questions they have at their receiver position yet because there hasn't been enough time on the job for them to observe him and make an accurate evaluation as to just how much he can help. Yeah, it's it's hard to know what the Bills coaching staff thinks about him, but it, I'll say one thing that's obvious. They've got some hope in him because they kept him around all year. He had a hamstring injury. I said it, I said it on the show just after the start of the season. We started talking about these guys. He, the worst hamstring injury I've ever heard of was a four-week injury. And they, he was on IR for four months. Yeah. Now, he might have re-injured it, all that, I, maybe, but um, he is a big receiver. He catches the ball extremely well, uh, but he obviously has a lot he's got to work on with route running, getting open, maybe feel for the game, maybe the playbook. We don't know. Best-case scenario is they hit him, and all of a sudden he blossoms and – Presto Changeo, he's a big-time number one receiver. Who knows? I kind of doubt that, but he does. I, you're right, Dan. He, The Bills, I think it's obvious they have hope that he's going to develop into something. I don't think they're hitching their wagon to that, though, is my point, because they just don't yeah. know. We would know more. They don't know, any, they don't know much more about him than they do any, any of the draft prospects. You know what I mean? Like. They know Maybe. something about him because he's been in the building. They know they know what he's got between his ears, and you know, and they know his motivation, and they know his personality, and you know, he's part of the family here now. But yes, they, as far as being a player, they've they've certainly got a list of specific things they need him to do better. Yeah. Let's go to Bert in Lockport next. What's up, Bert? Hi, guys. First time caller, long time viewer. All right, thanks. Um, I was, my question was the same about Justin Shorter because no one on the uh, talk shows are talking about him, and I know how Brandon Bean may have drafted him for this year coming up, well, just like they did last year when they were all talking about the middle linebacker position, and he had two of them in-house that he had already drafted. Right. So I don't need you to repeat the uh things that you said about Justin Shorter, but that was my thought, too. And maybe they could draft a defensive lineman uh, and get a wide receiver in the second round. Thank yeah, you for taking my You yeah. bet. And I'll say this. It could be. Uh, it Certainly, if they have more knowledge than we do, which they, you'd think they would, um, whether that knowledge is good or bad or whether it raises doubts or confidence, we don't know. But yes, if Justin Shorter is a guy they think, all right, we're going to unfurl this guy, he's going to be great, then they can't, then they will bypass taking a receiver at some point because they've got Justin Shorter and they can put that pick or whatever towards another position. Makes some sense. Don't know if it's ever, if it's going to happen or what that scenario is, but that's a, that does seem to be, to me, to be a transactional thing. If we've got this guy already, we don't need to draft a guy like him. Right. At the same time, you can make the argument that if this guy had potential and looked like he could be a number one guy in a few years, how come he couldn't get off of IR or crack the 53-man roster at the start, of, you know, at the end of training camp in the preseason? I know you had players on the roster that are pretty accomplished, but 
couldn't find a spot for him, could not beat out Trent Sherfield or Deontay Hardy for a spot on the roster. Now, is that going to change in the offseason? Yeah. I mean, it's probably unlikely that, you know, Sherfield is re-signed. Who knows what happens with Deontay Hardy if they have to have some cap savings. You know, is he uh, a victim and a cap casualty? We don't know. Um, so the receiver room is going to look very different next year. I think that's pretty safe to say. How much stock they put in what shorter can be for them next year because this is not a long-range thing you're retooling the receiver room and it has to be better than the one you put out on the field last year so yes you expect Kincaid to get better yes you expect Shakir to get better and you're hoping Diggs can give you another 100 catch season but short of that you have nothing else right now that's putting an awful lot on shorter, a fifth-round draft choice. Have fifth-round draft choices developed into number one wideouts? Yeah, Stephon Diggs is an example. Um, It didn't happen in the first two years, though. Uh, I I just think it's a lot to ask, and that's why I don't think it keeps them from taking a receiver somewhere on the first two days of the draft, maybe more than one, for all we know. Right. Actually, you know, a guy like Diggs, I mean, he showed up in Minnesota. He got pretty good pretty fast. Right. But there were other guys there too, right at the time. But he was on the field. Now you can say that they that Shorter's injury kept him off the roster, and then the timing of the season. At one point, this team was six and six, looking for answers, changing offensive coordinators. You would think if Shorter had any chance of contributing, they were going to pull the trigger on that at that point. Now maybe the timing was wrong. Maybe he had re-injured. Maybe he wasn't ready to play, or his window wasn't open in the right spot. And then they start winning, and you know they they said, "All right, we don't need him." But you'd like to think if Justin Shorter could have helped this roster out, he'd have been on the field already. Yeah. So for for us sitting out here on the outside of this evaluation process, yeah, you can't. I, I'm not. I'm not putting too many eggs into that basket. Yeah. But. I'm not getting rid of the guy. I'm, we'll we'll find out. They kept him for a reason. We'll see if he can if he can give him uh, justification for it in training camp. Let's go to Christopher in Buffalo. What's up, Christopher? Yeah. Yep. You're up. What's up? I'm uh, I'm thinking when you talk about draft picks uh, for the receiver line to save us on costs and all that. Yep. But, you know, to get a diamond in the rough, you know, a lot of these guys that are at a big prominent stage, you might be able to get a guy who's got a lot of heart that wants to play ball, who uh, has a lot of talent, but never uh, got the exposure. It seems to me uh, if we could pull a guy like that out, it'd be real beneficial because getting a guy who is a veteran that's got so many years and maybe got one year left in him, doesn't hold any promise you're in the same situation for the next year. And then you're looking at injuries with these guys. And uh, I can't believe all the injuries. I thought when we made it to the, going to play Kansas city, I thought all our guys were going to be pretty well back. And then I got the report that all these guys are hurt and it's like, uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I, uh, I look at Josh Allen, and I got to tell you, I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And if he was playing uh, for San Francisco the other night, I think they would have beaten the hell out of Kansas City. And they, uh, they don't want to give Josh any credit, but I feel bad for him because I think he really, they really need to pull 
some rabbits out of the hat for him. I think he deserves it. Right. I, with, that, with, with that, I'll uh, I'll let you speak and thank you. Yeah, I was Thanks, just going to say, Christopher, it, it was interesting because to me, you you may have contradicted your own argument a little bit because you were talking about how they should find a diamond in the rough in the draft, but then you said, you know. Diggs, you're hoping to get one more super productive year out of him, but if you don't, then where are you? Well, then you've put all your eggs in the diamond in the rough basket. I, I don't think that's the way NFL clubs like to operate. You draft receivers high because you believe they are more of a sure thing than someone you take in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round. That's why you take them up there, because their body of work, their character, their work ethic, you know, all of that stuff – checks all the boxes as being a pretty sure thing. And what the Bills need in the draft, maybe more than they have in the Bean McDermott era, is a surefire thing to line up outside of the receiver position. Under the assumption, of course, that Gabe Davis is too expensive to keep on the free agent market. So uh, this is no longer, ah, oh, yeah, let's see if we can get diamond in the rough, third, fourth round. No, you, you got to get an answer. Right. And and that might be somebody on a one-year deal in, in free agency, but you also need somebody for the long haul, somebody who can be ready to contribute right away and also be affordable on your cap for the next four years. That's a draft pick and probably a high one. Right. That's the key thing. The, the guys at the top of the draft, even all the way down into the lower second round, are usually guys that are physically gifted and with enough of a skill set that they can get on the field in the NFL right away. Um, you expect a guy like Dalton Kincaid to be able to come in and plug him in and get something out of him. And certainly through the course of the season, he did just that. Um, a guy, I think one of the things that the best you could, the best you could hope for in the current scenario is that a guy like Justin Shorter turns out and has a second year along the lines of a Khalil Shakir in his second year, Right. A big step forward. All of a sudden, he went from okay. Then all of a sudden, he he grew, and now coming into the third year, how ex, you know? I'll say this: I got high expectations for Shakir. This will be his third year. That that magical year that we always talk about, how where a guy's got it together. He's now a real pro. He's been through two seasons, and he's begun to contribute. Now he he's kind of spreads his wings and becomes who he can be. That's a Khalil Shakir to me. But it could also be Justin Shorter on his way to that. But if you're talking about getting a guy and where the Bills are right now, <laughs> Brownie's right. I, I hate to say it and because I've been listening to him for like three months. He's right. you got to get a guy that is going to be here and be a, a stud. Instant contributor. An instant contributor, like an on-the-field Eric Moulds type guy. I mean, just plug him in, and he's going to be slapping guys around. That's the kind of guy you need out there. Now, if you're going to get a guy like that, he's going to look like it. Yeah. And that's what Brownie – when we go down through these draft picks, one of the things we look at is size and strength and speed. It's all physical attributes. Yeah. That guy's got to show up and be able to physically impose his wishes for a route on a guy. And that's those guys, while I always say, you know, wide receivers and athletes are a lot more abundant than the big, huge dudes, these guys are, are rare. They're hard to find. And at 28 in the draft, you better hope there's like six of them. 
if you want to get one. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's six of them in this draft. Might be. Yes, but if there's six of them, not all six are going to look exactly like the way we want them to look. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So that's what you're looking at. It is a spot at 28 in the draft, 28th pick of the draft. This guy is going to have something that is very special about him. Maybe a bunch of stuff that's very special about him. Got to take a break here. Uh, Butch on the east side, Tom on the west side. We'll get to you guys when we come back here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. What is your ideal scenario for how to restock the Bills wide receiver room? 803-0550 to the phones and to Butch on the east side. What's up, Butch? First of all, good uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm going to get right to the point, but I wanted this little intro for a minute. And um, <clears throat> it's a couple of things that we speak in our vocabulary, which one, number one, is doubt and I think. And those two words can be very, very troubling because when we doubt something, we don't know anything. Sometimes it can cast a cloud on, on, on the conversation or the individual that we're speaking of. So I'd rather use the word X. X means unknown on, on, on that category. Now, the reason why I say that is, and i got to say this to Steve, and I love you, Steve, uh, a, a good family friend years ago was at St. Francis High School. His name was Delano Fabor, and he used to throw the Luke Tasker all day long. And both of them made each other, and they had a hell of a high school career. Luke ended up going to Cornell, uh, and, and, and Delano ended up going to UB, and they changed his position. Luke ended up going to CFL, had a good career. I followed Luke, and I love Luke, and Delano, same way. Oh, I know, a, I, I know exactly who you're talking Delano was a, was a really good player. Good player. But the thing about my, my, my point on that season, by the way, the, 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 the Fabor family always loved the Tasker family. I want to let you know that. Yeah, and it's well, vice versa. Yeah, we, we have nothing but love for the Fabor family. Love them. Thank you. I definitely have passed that on, Steve. But the reason I brought that up is I brought up the word dreams. Like Corey Graham had dreams. Like Isaiah McDuffie had dreams coming off the east side of Buffalo that's doing well in the NFL. I don't like looking at the word of, <clears throat> of we got to have a, you got you to gotta have this name or you have to have uh, this college to go ahead and be successful in the NFL. It, it doesn't, you need an opportunity. And I, I watched the Super Bowl. This past, this past Sunday. And I watched the quarterback didn't have any receivers. He had basically one tight end, one running back, and then the game winner went to a, a, a receiver that he didn't really throw to all game. My thing is this. What we have on our team that a lot of teams don't have is we got the guy who can make a, a receiver a household name instead of having a, 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 a mediocre quarterback that have a superstar wide receiver that make their name. See, for example, like a like a like a CD Lamb. CD Lamb will make a Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, you know, he might make a CD, but CD Lamb makes him look good. My thing is this, and I'm and I'm gonna be off this phone. I appreciate the time and I appreciate taking my call. Is that this 28th pick that we had personally? It's just me personally, just my opinion. With all the holes, I want them to trade back and get more picks. I believe we can pick up a couple receivers to go along with the Shakiras, to go along with the Hardys, the Justin Shoulders, to Darrell Shavers, because we have a quarterback that can, stay, instead of all these years playing the long game, but he, since he's been here, he can start playing a short game, just like, just like Patrick Mahomes played in the Super Bowl, and just be possessive type until these receivers become comfortable. All you need is confidence, and that's it, gentlemen. I thank you so much for taking my call. I love MSG. I love WG. I love all the fans, and thank you again. All right, Take thanks, care. Butch. Yeah, I, 
they've been kind of having the short passing game the last two years, Butch. That's kind of what their offense has been because all these teams play in a cover two shell. Why? Because they don't have anybody who can stretch the field effectively. Nobody, nobody threatens them vertically. Uh, they need a field stretcher, and they need an alpha male who's open even when he's not open. So in my world, I'm drafting two guys. Right. Probably on the first two Brownie, days of the draft. Brownie's all on that wide receiver team. And, I, and I've explored the, and we've talked about the possibility and the philosophy that's different than the one we're talking about. The one that Green Bay did with Aaron Rodgers. The one that, that and to, to your point, Ben Roethlisberger made a lot of guys a lot of money at wide receiver. And when they went other places, they were not as good because Ben could really sling it. And you're asking the Bills, why not do that with Josh? Why not let Josh elevate whoever you've got? You know he's going to be able to sling the ball. He's going to make plays and do all that. Get guys who can are just athletes and let them go out there. I, okay, um, but and trade back. You know, get more assets. Get guy and start build. You know, put it on the defensive side. Make a strong de- whatever you want to whatever you want to do with the extra assets. Uh, depend on Josh to elevate the offense. Let him carry the offense and do what you can with the with everything else. That hasn't worked. Yeah, I, it, it hasn't worked. Yep. Can't um, get over I on am, the Chiefs with that. I am, I am kind of with Brownie on this. They've, they've explored that, and certainly you can't make something that you don't have the opportunity to make happen. Um, if, they can't, if there's not a guy in the draft that is going to be that guy for them, they can't conjure one up out of thin air. Um, and they, they're not going to have the money to go out and buy one. So then they may be forced to do what you're asking them to do, Butch. But I, let me just say this. I'm, I'm not trading out of the 28th pick because you're not going to get enough to make it worth it, I don't think. And there won't be a – it's not a, that deep a draft. As deep as the draft may be, it's not going to be as deep as being able to get a bunch of difference makers in the third day. So I get the philosophy, and Josh can do that. But I don't know that Josh is the kind of thrower that would make, you know, a Miss America out of Phyllis Diller. And that's a – I'm dating myself. You knew Phyllis Oh, uh, yeah. All right. I'm familiar. You're not going to make – Josh ain't going to make Miss America out of Phyllis Diller. Look, I, I respect what you're saying, Butch. I love Josh Allen. I think he does make players around him better, but not better enough to get over on the Chiefs. So what you got to do is help your franchise quarterback and get him better weapons – so he doesn't have to make that heavy lift every time he steps on the field because you're playing against arguably the best quarterback of this generation and the best decision maker of this generation. So if your guy can't beat him straight up with comparable talent at the receiver position as the Chiefs have, or maybe even better talent as you saw it, that talent's got to get even better if you want to get over on that guy. And they've already loaded up on defensive draft picks year after year after year after year, saying, all right, let's load up the defense to stop Patrick Mahomes, and our guy will be good enough on offense to score enough points and beat the Chiefs. That hasn't worked either. So I am more convinced than ever, get the weapons, help your franchise guy, and just flat out outscore that dude. Because that's the only way you're getting over these days. I'll say this too. We're going to break. We can get into this after. I, I'm whatever philosophy that Bills have used to get to this point. I'm not going to change it. They they're getting the best players they can possibly get and building the best team they possibly can because they've got to beat the best guys out there every year. Uh, they're in that conference. They're in this AFC conference. It's the best conference. It's the toughest schedule. The Bills are getting the toughest schedule. They're always at the top of the list. They're always at the bottom of the draft. 
So they're, whatever philosophy they have used to get here, they're not going to flip-flop it. But they do have some things that have changed on their roster this year. They're going to force them to bolster some spots on their roster that they haven't had before. That's the problem. Their philosophy is not going to change. They're going to get the best possible players they can at whatever positions when the draft comes around. The, the, problem, the challenge is they've got to make themselves free enough to fill in the holes before they get there. Got to take a break here. Coming up, hour number two from Yahoo Sports and from Reception Perception. Matt Hardman joins us as we continue this receiver conversation next. Stay tuned. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, motoring into hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Pleased to be joined now by football analyst, fantasy football analyst from Yahoo Sports and also the creator of the Reception Perception. One Matt Harmon joining us fresh off of his Super Bowl week in Las Vegas where he talked to Stefan Diggs, among others, out there uh, on his program. Matt, thanks for joining us because uh, we want to dive headlong uh, into Buffalo's receiver situation here in the offseason. But I guess my first question to you, uh, I know you have a good rapport with Stefan, um, you know, and he's obviously pitching his stuff, but you got him on there. And what would you say was your biggest takeaway from your conversation with him uh, last week? You know, um, you're right. I've, I've known Stefan for years. We've uh, done shows together. We, we, you know, we've spoken many times over the years. So, yeah, have a great rapport with him, uh, you know, based on really first time we met was was actually talking about reception perception with him. So he's been aware of uh, the methodology's affinity for him for quite some time. And we've uh, developed a good rapport because of that. I will say the one big uh, takeaway I had talking to him was guy was in a lot better spirits this year than he was uh, this time last year because uh, we actually had him on the program with Austin Eckler at the Super Bowl in Phoenix. And I, I felt like coming out of that conversation that he was, uh, you know, again, a year ago, like, th- you know, it just wasn't quite the same, I don't know, uh, you know, vibe that I usually get from from him. And it wasn't quite the same, like, dynamic conversation that you're usually going to get out of Stefan Diggs when he's at, you know, kind of 100% or, or, or whatever, I came away from this conversation feeling like the guy, for whatever reason, you know, I, I have no idea, is it was in a bit, a bit of a better headspace this year than he probably was 365 days ago. You know, take that for, for whatever it is. My, uh, not, my expertise is probably not in armchair psychology, but that was just one thing I felt kind of talking to him this year. Yeah, I agree. That's what struck me about when I listened to the conversation. He, he seemed upbeat. And ready to keep going, and and he also had he and he kind of what we thought here on our show, the reasons for his drop off in production at the end of the season, there was no simple answer. There was a ton of it. Like he was being mm-hmm. a good teammate. Uh, it was a new offensive coordinator. There's a lot of stuff going on. Is that what you kind of took away from that conversation as well? Yeah, you know, because of the format of the uh, show that we were doing there in Vegas, we, we kind of had like a, a gamified effect to it. You guys saw it. If, if people can find the video on YouTube as well, 
Um, it was what's in the cards. You know, you get an easy question if you get the you get you answer the card game right. You, you get a hard question if you answer it wrong. We're getting there towards the end of the interview, and he's gotten himself a lot of easy questions because he keeps get, guessing correctly. And I'm like, dang it, we got to get some hard questions in here for Stefan Diggs. So luckily, right there towards the end, I was able to ask him about why did he feel like his production dropped off. And I agree with you guys. That was my first takeaway as well. Was he listed off a variety of reasons, and I, I often think in these situations when we have a verified, in my opinion, elite player at the position not producing up to the typical expectations, and and that's the crazy thing. It's like I've seen over the course of studying receiver play for for the better part of the last decade here. You know, you see guys come and go. Obviously, you see guys decline season over season. I can't remember very many instances where a guy just loses it in the middle of a season where he goes from having, in his words, what he thought was the probably on pace to have the best statistical season of his career. Uh, You know, he was aiming, he told me, for 17, 1800 yards this season. He was on that trajectory, right? Like he was up there with a guy like Tyreek Hill in the start of the season for him to completely fall off in in the back half. I'm with you guys that usually there's no easy explanation. There's no like one size fits all, you know, excuse or reason or whatever. And and I think there was that's fitting for the season that the, that the Bills had. You know, they change offensive coordinators. They change really offensive philosophies, really, in a lot of ways in the middle of the season. So, you know, beyond anything that was going on with him individually, I think there is a lot of stuff really there that, you know, like I don't think Joe Brady came into getting the offensive coordinator job. And the first thing he said is, all right. I got to get Stefan Diggs out of this offense. You know, I got to start scheming him <laughs> right. out of the offense or yeah. anything like that. That's not what any good coach would do. But I think they really tried to commit to the running game. And I think that was a successful thing. It was one of the first things that Diggs said is that, you know, we were running the ball really well. And, and obviously, like you guys said, he's trying to be a good teammate and fall in line with that. All right. So let's spin it forward to the offseason to-do list for Brandon Bean because he's going to probably have to restock this receiving room you know, in in multiple ways, not just one way. As we mm-hmm. know, most GMs have to look to all avenues to add to the room. And we know that Trent Sherfield is a free agent, did not really pan out all that well in the one year that he was here, really had trouble finding his way onto the field. Gabe Davis is a free agent who, despite the fact that he had seven games this season with one reception or less, uh, is probably going to command a price on the free agent market that the Bills with their cap situation probably cannot afford. Um, so with all that in mind, the general consensus here is they're going to need cheap labor with their prohibitive cap situation. You know, they're going to become cap compliant before they get to March 13th, but they're not going to be able to swing big in the free agent market. Maybe you get a Kendrick Bourne type for five or six million a year, but beyond that, you know, you're not looking at anybody more important than that. So we're kind of thinking you got to get at least two in the draft here, and it's a good year for receiver talent, but you may have to get those two before you're out of the fourth round. Yeah, I think that the Bills, when they've had Stephon Diggs there, and, and I don't blame them for this because, like I said, in my opinion, Diggs has been top five receiver since he's played. I, I thought he was a top five receiver in the league before he got to Buffalo, and he's definitely played and produced up to the level of a top five receiver when he's been a member of the Buffalo Bills. So I don't blame them for sort of trying to piece things together around him. Um, I think just even regardless of the – the way his season ended from a production standpoint, I think you're at a point 
in his career. And I think you're at a point in where the offense is right now where you can't really band-aid things around him anymore. I think you have to start really throwing resources at that second and third receiver uh, spot. Now, for me, for for my money, I really do like Khalil Shakir. I think he's a building block player for them. I was a fan of his coming into the league when he was playing at Boise State. I really like the way he, he functions as a route runner against man and zone coverage. I like his contact balance after the catch. I think you could see even more of him going forward in that area. You know, th- that's a guy that I think you can you can rely on to be potentially your third receiver. Maybe even if you take a, more of a developmental rookie, he can be your second most targeted wide receiver after Diggs. You know, again, provided that Diggs is on the roster, I, I expect him to be on the roster. That that's my view of it. But you know, again, I think he was a guy that's sort of open to anything because the Bills have a really tough cap situation and and there's all that kind of smoke in the media so existing in that world right now where Diggs is on the roster I think Shakir's a guy that can be your second or third receiver but I'm with you guys that you're not going to be able to go out there and get a big free agent like regardless of their cap situation number one or really even like high high quality number two receivers don't hit the open market very often I mean you're looking at guys like Christian Kirk you're looking at guys like Jacoby Myers two guys I think that are very good players and two guys, frankly, that would have helped the Buffalo Bills the last couple of years. But you're not going to get somebody, you know, that's like I, I don't realistically think a Mike Evans is hitting the roster. A Michael Pittman is hitting the ro- uh, hitting the open market, hitting uh, uh, T Higgins. I don't think these guys are hitting the open market necessarily. So you got to look to the draft. And I think that might require them to be aggressive in a trade up situation. This is a great receiver class from what I've looked at so far. A consensus view is it's a great receiver class. So this is the year to do it. But I'm with you. It might take two chops, two bites at the apple there, depending on how they view Shakir. I, like I said, I'm a fan. I think they can be that, that's a guy they can build around. But they definitely need someone to play on the outside, someone to really be a true separator, which I think was probably the weakness in Gabe Davis's uh, game the last couple of seasons. Of One of the things I'm looking at, there's like 75 guys, you know, 75 free agents on a list, you know, for wide receiver and Lee, and they go from Gabe Davis and Mike Evans all the way down through. And one of the things that I look at. When you see these, and they're all different ages, and they all got these different attributes. Some of them had good seasons. Some of them didn't play in all 17 games. Some of them, you know, one of the things I look at is snap count. You know, so you you get a guy like Mike Evans. He's got like 800 snaps. And I think Gabe Davis may lead this entire free agent market with over 900 snaps on offense. Um, A guy who plays a lot means there's a lot of trust in him with that coaching staff that he's on. And whether they're productive or not, Gabe Davis falls kind of into that thing. The coaches put him on the field all the time. And that says a lot about where these free agents are. So regardless of their production or what they look like, snaps on the field are one of the things I look at as being one of the ways that you get what that guy's like off the field because they put him on the field because they trust him. 100%. And Gabe Davis is a good player to mention there because, you know, like you said, there were times that he was completely uninvolved from a production standpoint. Now, production doesn't tell the whole story of what a wide receiver is doing, of course, Um, even when we're just talking about like running routes and getting open. But from a blocking standpoint, that Gabe Davis was a huge asset as a guy that they could stick on the line of scrimmage as an X receiver to set the tone as a blocker. And especially when they're running the ball really well in the second half of the season, you know, Gabe was a big function of that. So that is definitely something that they'll have to push and pull when if they do lose Gabe Davis and they replace him with a rookie wide receiver or, you know, maybe someone that they think is going to give them some more consistent separation. Are you losing something there from a reliability from a, a 
run blocking standpoint, when you became a better rushing team in the second half of last season, that will be the push and pull of that kind of equation there. Yeah, because, I mean, as, as I see it, you kind of need that alpha male early, uh, a guy that can grow into the number one role maybe a year from now. You know, maybe going into the 25 season, the guy's ready to take the number one mantle from a Steph Diggs. Um, and then secondarily, you need a field stretcher. I mean, that's the second guy that they should probably get so they can try to pull some of these defenses out of that cover two shell that they see every week. Um, so that's why I'm kind of a proponent of getting two uh, in the draft. My question to you, though, Matt, is winning against man coverage and catch rate are two things that have not been in plentiful supply at the receiver position on this roster. Now, obviously, Shakir helped immeasurably in the catch rate area. Um but in terms of winning, you know, and getting consistent separation, as you already mentioned, Gabe Davis struggled in that area. Some of the other receivers on this roster struggled in that area, Sherfield being one of them, Hardy being another, who they lined up outside and at five foot six, I thought that was a big ask for him. Um, but maybe just tell me where you kind of come down on that and and what is if, if there is any translation, because I'm tapping into your reception perception knowledge here, but catch rate and separation rate like how do they translate to production on the whole at that position yeah we've found that uh success rate versus man coverage which is the main metric along with success rate for zone and press and a variety of other things that i track that i've been tracking with reception perception over the last 10 years well um, since 2014 so 10 years worth of data essentially there um, that success rate versus man is one of the biggest predictors of production, of future production. When we're looking at guys that come into the league in their first and second season, these guys that show early on that they can beat man coverage and are going to line up as outside receivers, those are typically the players that go on to become the stars of today and tomorrow, or at least very high-quality productive players there's been a few guys throughout uh, you know again reception perception history since 2014 that beat man coverage at a high rate that don't go on to succeed in the nfl but the the guys that are completely busted out are very few and far in between we're talking about like maybe anthony miller he was the guy that i really liked as a man coverage beater back in the 2018 nfl draft class that he never really panned out into being a successful player but like on the lower end of it you're looking at guys like okay sterling shepherd a guy that has been a reliable player for a long time but couldn't stay healthy that's like what we're talking about in terms of guys who aren't stars but are solid NFL players so that if you're going to be an outside receiver I do think the ability to beat man coverage is the most important trait however if you're going to be one of these off-ball flanker receivers or certainly you're going to be a slot receiver our research also shows and there is a if, if people are interested there's an article on receptionperception.com done by Josh Scott who is a data a data scientist uh, in his day job uh, kind of showing the correlations here between where receivers line up and the coverages that are more important for them to beat. If you're going to be that slot receiver, it's more important for you to beat zone coverage. Not that as an outside receiver, it's not important for you to beat zone coverage, but just where these guys line up, the different coverages they're going to face, that kind of is the, is the catch-all thing there. But yeah, it is it is a very good predictor of future production. And that, that goes for guys that show at the college level that they can separate against man coverage too. You know, they get not as clean as once you get them in the NFL. That's the best place to test these guys. That's the best uh, reception perception data you are going to get. But regardless, again, if you can beat man coverage, in my opinion, that that's a really good sign for who you're going to be as a player down the line. Have you done any stuff on the draft class coming out? And if you have, how deep is it? And what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so typically I don't start my draft prep with these guys until after I do the free agent receivers because that's the first group I drop on receptionperception.com uh, in March. However, this year everybody's telling me, oh, this is a great receiver draft class here. You're going to love it. And I couldn't help myself, uh, you know, as if we didn't do enough work during the regular season. Let's start doing college receivers right away. So I have looked at some of the top prospects in this year's class, uh, the top kind of Four consensus guys, Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Roma Dunze, Brian Thomas, and I've looked at a few other guys there as well, Lad McConkey, uh, Keon Coleman, some of the names I've started working on. Um, I, I, man, I think that Roma Dunze and, and Neighbors and, and Marvin Harrison are all worth the hype. I'm especially high on Roma Dunze. Not that I'm, I'm not high on those other two guys. I, I obviously am, but the one guy who... I didn't have as much expectations for because I've heard about Marvin Harrison, you know, forever and, and how exciting he is as a prospect. I didn't really know much about Roma Dunze. Didn't watch a lot of Pac-12 football. Uh, didn't watch a lot of college football in general. I got a whole NFL to worry about. So I didn't really know much about the guy. I go in and I, I've been just blown away by how impressive he is off the line of scrimmage, how impressive he is as a route runner in addition to what he does in the contested catch game. So, I mean, those are just the guys at the top, and I think they're really impressive. But, you know, Brian Thomas might be a good name to bring up for the Bills as kind of a guy that might be able to do a little bit of what, what we were saying where somebody that can win vertically but who can play outside and separate against man coverage. I think Brian Thomas is sort of maybe not in the same class as those top three, but somebody that might go in that middle of first-round range if Buffalo's trying to trade up. That's the type of guy that they should be targeting. Yeah, it's a, he's a hard guy to ignore when he leads the FBS with 17 touchdown receptions playing in the SEC. So, yeah, I get where you're coming from on that. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because Brandon Bean always says, look, we try to fill as many holes as we want, as we can in free agency, so we're not leaning towards positional need by the time we get to the draft, because that can lead to problems and reaches and all of those kinds of things. Um, I I just think they're at a point now where there has to be a youth movement on this roster, and not just at receiver, all over the place, but at receiver too, because it's an expensive position. Uh, They need cheap labor there. Uh, which is why I think when all is said and done, they may add one veteran free agency at an affordable price. But when it's all said and done, they probably have to add two, and they have 10 draft picks to work with here. Yeah, I think they might end up adding two. There are free agents, though, like Kendrick Bourne, you mentioned, is a really nice name. I've always been a big fan of Curtis Samuel, um, and he has some ties to Carolina. We know that this coaching staff and front office has ties to Carolina as well. I'm not sure how far back those connective tissues go. Um, I I think there's probably some overlap there. But again, he's a guy that's played in Carolina. There's some familiarity there, and, and like. Steve, to your point about being on the field and and reliability, that's not necessarily Curtis Samuel's strength. Uh, He's been a guy who's dealt with injuries at times, but he can do a little bit of the vertical speed stuff where he can also be a guy that can win sort of in designed ways. There might be a little bit overlap with Shakir there, but I think there's more to Curtis Samuel's game in terms of being the ability to beat man coverage on the outside. I've always been a big fan of him in that way. So maybe you add like a, a, a veteran sort of, discount guy like we're not shooting at the top of the market here for Buffalo I'm with you I think they need some cheaper guys there but maybe a Samuel or a Kendrick Bourne I mean even like a a a Josh Reynolds type maybe not a superstar gonna knock your socks off type but then you maybe make one or two bigger moves in the draft to go along with hopeful development from Dalton Kincaid and then we're talking about an offense that can hurt you in in a variety of different ways good stuff Matt appreciate thanks for taking some time it's great to get cross paths with you hope we can do it again 
Absolutely. Uh, always love talking about this receiver core in particular. Thank you guys for having me. All you right. Bet, thanks, man. man. That's Matt Harmon from Yahoo Sports and from Reception Perception. Uh, you want to talk about somebody that slices up the receiver position eight ways to Sunday. Uh, Matt That's and the crew the over there at Reception Perception do that. Um, and as you heard him say, they'll chop up all of the free agent receivers first and then after that get on to the draft prospects in earnest, you know, as they get into late March and early April. Uh, so if you are a receiver freak and, you know, you're obsessed with it, uh, you, ser- you share the same obsession as Matt Harmon. So right. that's where you go if you want to get more on it uh, going forward. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think, Steve, because I know I asked him about winning against, you know, separation against man coverage, and right. he laid that out. Catch rate two, he didn't really answer the second part of that question um, because <laughs> it was funny. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was Sean, uh, in a press conference leading up to the draft, he said, yeah, we, we need people who can catch the ball. Like, it sounded so overly simplistic, but I think There's he was saying there. it to make a point. Like, well, you they... need people to catch the ball. Dawson Knox struggled with that early in his career. He's kind of gotten that under and control. Got better. He's really gotten a lot better. Shakir came in and caught everything right away. Kincaid was ultra impressive when yeah. he right out. I mean, right out of the wrapper, he comes in, right out of the draft. He comes in and he's catching everything. Um, I, I told a lot of people this last year. I thought Dalton Kincaid was, had an as impressive a training camp as any rookie receiving threat I've ever seen. Um, he was on. He caught the ball, was open, had a great feel for getting open, uh, separating. You know, and I and I couldn't. I of course couldn't speak to where whether he ran the right right route or the wrong route or used the right technique. But the guy was getting the ball in training camp and was catching it every catching everything. So, I, I'm I'm kind of with you. I, um, just catching the ball is. It sounds so simple, but at times. I mean, we've seen Gabe struggle with it and continued to struggle with it. Um, and I, it's how he frames the ball when it comes in with his hand position and all of that. It, it's, it just doesn't seem natural for him. And then you see him have, you know, a four, four touchdown <laughs> game against the Kansas City Chiefs. It's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to keep that guy off the field? Uh, I, I think it's something that is whenever you have problems, which is what this team did a couple of years ago, not so much this year, although, you know, drops may happen to every football team, it bubbles to the surface and you feel like it becomes higher priority. And, and it they becomes, made it one in last year's draft. It becomes something that you all of a sudden becomes a gotta-have characteristic instead of, yeah, it's pretty good and it's, it's acceptable level. Um, I think in this day and age, I think – that's becoming more and more. And I, th- I think particularly with Josh's quarterback, too, there's something to be said for that. you got to have a guy that can catch. Let's uh, squeeze the phone call in here before the break. Tom on the west side has been waiting patiently. What do you got for us, Tom? Hey, guys. Brownie, Steve, how you doing? Good, good. I don't like to ask that question because there was a guy in Buffalo famous on the radio. Well, he thought he was famous. He's known on the radio, and he would hang up on you. But anyway... I got two points. Uh, to piggyback on Butch a little bit, I, the receivers. If, if I've seen, I've seen Thomas from LSU slide to Buffalo in the mock draft, and then I've also seen Franklin from Oregon. 
moved back to us because Thomas is like a top 15 and Franklin is like a top thir- mid-30s around. Yeah. So would would Franklin be a reach if we took him in the first round? Or, because I don't think he's going to be there in the second round. So at that point, I would maybe take a defensive tackle. I think if the Bills are going to move up in the draft, they're going to move up back. They're going to move up in the later rounds. And the question about quarterback, everybody keeps talking about Mahomes. Do you think Reed made Mahomes or did Mahomes make Reed? Because we passed on Mahomes. He was our pick in the draft, and we ended up with Josh Allen, who I love. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd rather have Allen than Mahomes. I think he's a better person. And, and then on top of that, with Pittsburgh giving up Trubisky, do you think the Bills would bring him back to the roster to be even, either the second or third stringer? And I know Kyle Allen and Josh Allen are best friends, but could could they bring all three of them into the room together? Yeah. If, right. if you got to go to break, if you got to go to break, I would love to love for you to comment on all that. Yeah, okay. uh, we'll do that. A lot to unpack there, Tom. Thanks for the call. Uh, for the receiver prospect, Brian Thomas is considered a better overall prospect on the whole by just about everybody than Franklin. So I think he is less likely to be there at 28 for the Bills. I think Franklin is more likely. Whether he is a reach or not differs by team because everybody has a different grade and report on Franklin and every other prospect in the draft and what a player who might be a fit for Buffalo may not be a fit for the Jets or the Steelers or some other team. And so they're going to be graded accordingly. If they're not a fit for us, I'm moving them down the board. We'll take them a little bit later, even though they might not be ideal, but we're not using the 28th pick on that guy because he doesn't fit everything that we want him to do. That's why the grades vary so much in the draft. As for the quarterback thing, I think Trubisky has a chance to be back at an affordable price, but – Certainly, hit Josh and Trubisky were really close when Trubisky was here. I think Josh would welcome it to have Kyle Allen and Trubisky in the room with him. Uh, Trubisky's experience would certainly lend something to it, and his physical uh, attributes as well. Um, Probably not carrying three on the he, active roster, though. right? But he could be in the you know practice squad or you know as the emergency quarterback or whatever. Just be in the building now. Secondly, uh, does Mahomes make Andy Reid, or does Andy Reid make Mahomes? Uh, you know, the answer to that is yes. They both make, they both make each other better. Uh, I don't know that Mahomes would have had the career he's had with Buffalo, and I don't think that Buffalo would be the team that went to six straight AFC Championship games like the Chiefs have done. Um, I, I you can have that debate. That's what sports is all about. You can have that debate until forever. Uh, but I know this too. I, I'm with you. I love the guy the Bills have. I think he's as dangerous a weapon as there is in the National Football League, bar none. Better than, uh, more dangerous than anybody in the league. And I'm, you know, you got to be happy you've got him. He's the reason this. As long as he's taking snaps, the window never closes for Buffalo. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of. I think you on the that. short answer on Kansas City is Reed and Mahomes are a winning combination. Yeah, and you throw they help Kelsey into that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, best tight end in a generation, yeah. Yeah. maybe ever. Yeah, the only so. thing is keeping those guys from going another decade perhaps might be Andy Reid's age. Yeah, he's 65. we got to take a break here. When we come back, more of your phone calls as we are asking you, what is your ideal scenario to restock Buffalo's receiver room this offseason? 
can let us know at 803-0550. We'll crack open the tweet sheet when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Back to the phones we go into Elliot in Rochester. What's up, Elliot? Hey, Chris and Steve. Uh, I was just looking at this interesting statistic here, and I think it would surprise both of you and all the listeners. The Kansas City Chiefs finished dead last in the league in completed air yards per completion, which I think that speaks to, you know, what Andy Reid is scheming up there. They do a lot of short pass plays to Travis Kelsey and their other weapons. They run the ball effectively with Pacheco. Now I bring this up because when I think of, you know, two years back, two seasons ago, Dorsey's offense seemed very vertical and the Bills weren't always executing. And then when Brady took over, the Bills demonstrated to be one of the most effective offenses in the league in utilizing the weapon types that they have, the two tight end set with Shakir and Diggs and Cook with Allen's running, just moving, moving short plays. It all comes down to scheme. So I bring up this point to say that perhaps the best personnel to bring in at receiver is a guy with speed that can blow the top off the defense, not necessarily to open things up deep, but really to just keep the defense honest in, in cover three scenarios, maybe cover fours just so we can use the weapons we have and open up the space in the hooks and the flats and just, you know, really take advantage of it that way. So I'll be really interested to see what Joe Brady does in the year to come uh, with the offensive scheme. But I just thought you might find that interesting. Chiefs, dead last in completed air yards per completion. But I just want to know your guys' thoughts on that. I saw a little bit of that stat. They had uh, the number, the, the little, I don't know, what do you call it? A flow, not a flow chart, but a, a little dot chart of Brock Purdy in the Super Bowl and Mahomes spreadsheet of where their touchdown passes were completed this year and Purdy's you know covered a large area of the field in front of the offensive set with each little touchdown dot Mahomes was very close to the line of scrimmage so a lot of his touchdown passes were really short short passes which kind of Purdy has very good yard after catch receivers though in Samuel Ayuk you know etc Mahomes really didn't. I, right. I, and I, I mean, get part of that short area passing game is because of the receiving core he had at his disposal, which was horrible by what it had been in previous years. And mm-hmm. Rice came on, you know, second half yes. of the season, and that helped. But that's the main reason why they were what they were. One of the things, too, that you said, um, Elliot, was kind of sounds like you need to need a fast guy to take the lid off the defense to open things up for guys that are already here, like Shakir and Kincaid. And I'll listen to that, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly given the fact that who's going to be left on the draft board when you're picking 28th. You may – speed may be the number one attribute you're looking for for a guy. Uh, so he can just go through the middle of the defense. you got to cover the guy, and that's – you know, if if you're wondering why – Safeties will back way off to keep a guy from getting behind them. So if you get a guy that gets past everybody very fast, everything underneath, there's just all kinds of open spaces in there, and Josh can hit guys underneath, which Khalil Shakir, Dalton Kincaid, Dawson Knox, James Cook, those kind of guys are going to be in the middle of the field and have more space to work. I'll listen to that. you got some guys on the team that are kind of proven. They're young, like Kincaid and Shakir, uh, James Cook. I don't have a problem exploiting them. 
But I think that what you're trying to do is get the best guy you can. And if it's a bigger, stronger, more alpha guy who isn't the ultra speed guy you want down the field, you're still going to get the best prospect. And then you got to incorporate that skill set into what you're talking about. So we'll see how that comes out. But I'm not, I'll listen to that. Uh, yeah. Get a fast guy, take the lid off, and trust the guys that are already here. Yeah. In an ideal world, you get your alpha male over here to play outside, and then you get your field stretcher over here, and off you go. Now you really got something. Um, that's easier said than done. I get it, especially when you're picking at 28. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Brandon Bean navigates this offseason in terms of refortifying the receiving core. But that's what they got to have. They need an alpha male over here who can take on the number one receiving role by 2025 because now Diggs is a year older. And then you need a guy that stretches the field that forces defense to respect them vertically so there is more room underneath to Steve's point. Uh, let's go to Gary on a cell next. What's up, Gary? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, Steve. Uh, the other thing I wanted to yeah, as far as uh, receiver, big, fast, sticky hands, that's what you need. Yeah. And that will open yeah. up underneath. But as far as uh, who helped who, I believe Reed and his coaching staff were the key. They came up with the plays. They gave Mahomes the opportunities, and uh, although Mahomes is great, I think he was really lucky to have a good coaching staff behind him, and I think he was really lucky when he played the Bills. He could have uh, easily lost those games. Yeah. Thanks a lot, guys. Sure thing, Gary. I mean, it, it's no accident that some of the best quarterbacks in history had Hall of Fame coaches as head coaches. I mean – you can run down the list as much as you want. Um, Joe Montana had Bill Walsh. John Elway at the end of his career had Mike Shanahan. You know, Patrick Mahomes has Andy Reid. Tom Brady had Bill Belichick. I mean, all these guys that have won multiple Super Bowls, they've got Hall of Fame head coaches. Like Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin. I mean, yeah, Jim Kelly, Marv Levy, Dan Fouts, Don Coryell. I mean, I'm going down. Well, I'm just back talking about guys with multiple Super Bowl titles. Yeah, I mean that's they all have Hall of Fame. Great coaches. quarterbacks have great head coaches and and wins. And I think it's true to say wins are not a quarterback stat, but head coaches and quarterbacks kind of go in tandem to me. Um, you got to have a lot of things in place for a quarterback to be successful, and that means a, a head coach who can get all that done. Make all, do all the right things. A lot of the you know that you got to do in an NFL team in order for a quarterback to be successful. But even if all those things are in place, it's got to be the right guy. Yeah. Break time for us here. We will crack open the tweet sheet when we return here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Right back here for one more segment on One Bills Live. We're going to go to the tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. What is your ideal scenario for how to restock the Bills wide receiver room? Chris says draft at least two studs, Troy Franklin or uh, Brian Thomas Jr. in round one, and then 
Javon Baker from Central Florida in round three and get a true number four weapon like Curtis Samuel. That's a lot of work. Carl says, I would love to see Malik Neighbors, but I know that's a dream. I'd like to see a draft pick in the first two rounds and maybe a Boyd or Jennings signing. Plus, I'd love to see Shorter develop this year. So he's talking about um, Tyler Boyd and Jawan Jennings, who just played in the Super Bowl for the Niners. Nick says, draft an alpha dog in round one and a few others in later rounds as support. Hopefully we get a good look at Shorter this offseason. I think Josh will benefit from a big guy with a big catch radius. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Um, Crabster says, two wide receivers in the first three rounds. I'm with you, Crabster. This draft is full of wide receiver talent. Paired with Shakir and Kincaid would be very nice. Douglas says, if we can somehow get both Troy Franklin and Montez Sweat, I think we would be in good shape. Would like to get safety James Williams and Roman Wilson, too. Wow. That would be an embarrassment of riches. Jack says, sign an affordable vet like Kendrick Bourne. I'm listening. Then draft A.D. Mitchell in round one. Ricky Pearsall round three. May have to move up in round three to get him. Those three plus Dig Shakir, and Shorter could be scary. Let's not forget Hardy has another year. I'm not sure they're done with him yet. And then M says Curtis Samuel, Ad McConkie, Adonai Mitchell, Brian Thomas Jr. in a late-round selection. That's a lot of work there. Big Rob, trade Diggs, draft a wide receiver in round one. We'll suck to eat dead cap, but if we hit in round one wide receiver, he'll be on a rookie contract. I don't think you have to trade Diggs to do that. Find a way to keep him and have him carry the mantle first half of the season. Hopefully your alpha dog carries him in the second half. Last one from Nate. Buffalo needs receivers who can catch a ball in triple coverage, a receiver who can catch a ball 70 yards downfield in tight coverage with his head turned 180 degrees and a stud-blocking <laughs> receiver. <laughs> there you go, Nate. There you go. Da-da-da. Yeah. Nate um, gets it. There's work to do. I think that's what those tweets kind of tell us. There's work to do, and you know, Brandon Bean and his personnel staff are hard at it. And there's you know, a zillion things that are going to change between now and the time of the draft. Free agencies coming around, restructuring a cap, all of that stuff. We're gonna, they're going to get cap compliant in the next couple of weeks, and we'll see how that works, and we'll see what it looks like. Yeah, but I do think the receiver room is going to look different by, by a wide margin than yeah. what we saw no the room question. look like last year. That's it for us today. We'll be back for more of this kind of stuff tomorrow. We'll see you at 1.